Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the episode of The Step Over here on the 610 Podcast Network. This is your host, Stephen O'Malley, joined alongside by Billy Bruno and David Cook. And today we are joined by our very special guest, uh, Max Gordon, creator of one of the largest fan-created NBA news pages on Instagram, titled Brainiac NBA, an uncensored hoops chat with none of that BS. He is also a fan of our beloved Philadelphia 76ers. Max, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you and great to have you. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's a, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, I've, known, I've known Billy for uh, a long time. We actually went to high school together. So uh, that's, that's uh, always nice to, uh, to uh, connect with people that, that you sort of grew up with as well. But um, yeah, happy to be here. I, I, I run uh, Brainiac NBA on Instagram. Um, we're sitting in about like 43,000 followers right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all great stuff and I uh, can't wait to get started today. I really liked in your, in your bio, the, you know, with none of that BS, I, I really enjoyed that, that part. Yeah. Cause you gotta, you gotta hit them with, you can't hit them with like the basic, the basic, cause you have these bleacher reports and these house of highlights and they're just giving you like the most simplistic stuff. Like, the other night, that Anthony Edwards dunk. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that was like that was an awesome dunk. He like jumped over the guy pretty much, just completely bodied him. But the, he shot like two of fifteen on the night, and like I didn't hear anybody talking about that. So, yeah, Bleacher Report is awful. I mean, they pick their certain guys to always hype up, and one play out of the game, they'll say, "Oh my gosh, this is crazy." They could have a horrendous game, like you just said. Right. Or my like pet peeve with them is whenever a New Jersey drops for whatever team, they tweet out with, like, five fire emojis, and it could be the ugliest jersey ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't stand Bleacher Report. Just all their articles are just clickbait all the time, and just like, they'll just drop, jump at, like, the lowest of, like, rumors and stuff. It's just not a, right. not a great one. So. And, that, and that's, that's sort of, like, the beauty of what I've been, like, doing because people go and follow me, and that's, like, how they – you know, there's people that are DMing me and messaging me all the time, and, like, that's how they get their NBA news – simply because I'm not sitting here. Like, when I go and watch games, like, I don't even watch – I don't want to say I don't watch, but those nationally televised games, like, I don't watch as much. Like, I'd so much rather watch, like, Kings Wizards on, like, League Pass, you know, and just, like, watch that game rather than, you know, a, a big market team because those guys get caught up in that all the time, you know, the, the big stuff, so. My favorite thing with your page was when you got into beef with Joaquin Noah. Yeah, that was fun. That that was really fun. Uh, what was the backstory about that? Um, so he was he was out of the league uh, for for a few years, and he was like making this. He was actually on the Knicks. Actually, um, <laughs> he was basically out of the league. Yeah. Uh, but he was riding the bench on the Knicks, and uh, I he posted uh, working out in the summer. He hit like a step back three and started like running around like crazy, like taking his shirt off and stuff. And I was like, I don't know who the hell he thinks he is. Like he's making 
the, the Knicks signed like a four year, $72 million deal, you know, to play only 30 something games for them in that four year stretch. And, um, you know, I, I basically just came at him and told him, you know, that he, he's got to be working harder. I, I don't know who he thinks he is. Obviously, I used a lot more vulgar words than that. Sure. But um, he yeah, he came he came and responded. And then, um, you know, I, I sent something back to him. And then we, we had this whole exchange over the course of like three months of him working out that summer of me just literally trashing him. And now he's retired. So uh, I, I don't want to hate anybody. You know, I respect all the guys for training, but. I do like, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned that you'd rather watch like the Kings and the Wizards. I like that your page has stuff about like the Kings and the Wizards and the Magic and all the teams that are right. never on ESPN. They're never on Bleacher Report. Obviously, you have a lot of stuff about the Hornets because LaMelo Ball is everywhere and that's just kind of how it works. And that's kind of Bleacher Report's main game and SportsCenter's main game is LaMelo Ball. That's their new toy. As David said last night, they don't, their old toy, Zion, is balling. Yeah, they kicked him to the curb. Yeah, he's, he's been <laughs> cast out like a leper. But I like on your page, it's just, you know, you got, you got every, you got 30 teams and you're covering all 30, which is, which is very respectable because, you know, obviously ESPN's job is to cover, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nets. Well, they're, they're there to appeal to the, the average fan. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, they're, they just want the highlights and the glory and anything that gives them clicks and views. Right. Right. Um, you know, but I, I like to think I cater to the average fan, but, for those who really want to get into basketball, you know, I, I feel like the main outlet for, for people nowadays or the main sport for people nowadays that they know, like at least one player on every team is like football, right? Like everybody knows sort of everybody in the league. Every team has like a good quarterback or a good player, like the NBA, like, you know, there's teams that are going like, like the wizards for a while, you know, they were a bottom of the rank team and, you know, they have two stars, right? So there's a lot of stuff and factors that go into a, a team success and such. We have so. a Wizards, uh, a fan of the Wizards who's one of our friends, and he's boycotting the team until they fire Scott Brooks. And yeah. I think he's still in the boycott, even though they've won five straight. He should. He, the, Bradley Beal's the only person there that's that's keeping that afloat. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> like he, like literally, if he went in the management tomorrow and was like, I'm demanding a trade. Like they'd have to rework and rebuild like now and just trade him for as many picks as they can. Like if he pulled a James Harden. Well, yeah, that's the thing I don't understand. Like this team, like the Wizards, they've been like one of the worst teams for a couple of years and they refused to blow it up. Like I've been telling Aiden, the Wizards fan, to just get on with like, he's like all for like the team as it, he will add like begin, at the beginning of the season, he was all for the team as it is now. Like, dude, just accelerate the process, blow it up, and just embrace the stink for a year. So if we're going to relate this to the Sixers, <laughs> um, when they had Stefanski, the guy before Hanky, and uh, they fired him and brought in Hanky, there's uh, – I completely agree. Like, there's no purpose in the NBA for you to just consistently be an eight seed every year and get swept in the first round. You know, like there's like how many times has like Charlotte or Detroit been like an eight seed and like they just never get better. Like this is the most annoying thing or Orlando, like they're the most eight seed franchises ever. And that's the thing you can't get better because you're always picking at the same spot. Like if you're making the like you're picking outside the lottery every time. So you see. So you so to compare that. Right. You see the Sixers blow it up. You see what they are now, um, you know, and, and they're number one in the east. And then same thing with uh okc right now right 
you know, they're a team where they just lost Paul George and then they ended up trading away um, Russ and then they trade away CP3. And now they're just like, you know what? We got all these picks. We're just going to use all those assets. And instead of just being a eight seed every year with Shea and a few role guys, you know, let's build around Shea and get some other guys for these upcoming drafts. So to relate it all back to the Sixers, like you look at the mold that the Sixers took and they were the worst team in the NBA for four or five years straight, obviously not record-wise, but talent-wise, they didn't have any. Um, and then you see teams like the Wizards and the Trailblazers and these team and the Kings, these purgatory teams with backcourt stars, and they drafted two good backcourt, backcourt players and they're perennial seven or eight seeds and they'll never get anywhere. And then you have teams like the, the Indiana Pacers who are a perennial four or five, maybe a sneaky three, but they're screwed because they have really good players that aren't good enough uh, to be st- superstars. They're star players like Sabonis. And they even went, even when Old Depot was at his prime and now they have, you know, key role guys like Brogdon, they're just going to be a thorn in people's side, but they'll never get to the next level, but they're not even worth blowing it up because of the players they have are so dang good. Yeah, but that's I, – I think, like, they're a special case because, like, you have – like, they just traded for Levert. Like, he has three more years under his contract, and he's never even been, like, a starter, right? So, like, that's a team that could potentially, potentially build. Like, Levert could average 25 in next year and be an all-star, you know, um, simply because he just has that longevity. Uh, same with Brogdon and Sabonis. Like, they're under contract, and they're both in their 20s uh, as well. So, um, but – they're one very particular case like the Sixers those years, man, I, I miss, I miss Henry Sims and I miss. Those were the boys. Yeah. And uh, the Tony Rotens and, oh man, I like that one game, Tony Rotens, his first career start when he had that triple double, I was like, man, like this guy is going to be a nice bench guy for us. And then man, that, that Achilles hurt him. But anyway, I, I could talk about Tony Roden all day. <laughs> but, the teams are really fun to watch. And even the teams with Doug Collins, the seven oh, or eight man. teams. Like, the, that was a great example of a perennial seven or eight mm-hmm. team. But they were fun to watch. So, like, for those other teams that don't want to blow it up, in that kind of sense, I understand it. Because, you know, they're – like, we were attracted to those type of players. Spencer Hawes, he manned yeah. the paint for a couple of years. Yeah, Thad Young, one of my guys. favorites. I loved Thad Young. Oh, he's was, awesome. That was tough when we traded Iguodala and then we traded Thad Young the next year. That was that was a tough blow to my twelve year old self, just losing <laughs> losing Iguodala the first year for Bynum. But then you know you had the Holy Grail and Bynum. That if he comes back, you know you really they really and then, won that and then, trade. And then also the percentage of discounted Models Evan Turner jerseys oh. that are in the world are unreal. Like in the Philadelphia area, I don't know how many of those I've seen either on like websites and they're like way overpriced too. Like, well, I'm not going to pay $30 for a Sixers Evan Turner Jersey. <laughs> they're still trying to sell them. Yeah. They're, and they're still trying to sell for like 20 bucks. Like he's on the team. Yeah. There's like, an abundance. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Evan Turner, when, when, when he was drafted and I was like, all right, he's, he's going to be pretty good. And then, you know, three weeks later, DeMarcus Cousins is setting records out the wazoo and then like two years later evan turner is a 12 7 and 4 guy yeah i was i was never a fan of that evan turner pick i just like, was i was like all right but he, there's a chance with him and then you know nba trade deadline comes around year four for evan turner and we trade him for two protected seconds in danny ranger and i was like oh so that's 
that's really what he was worth. He was worth a box of Oreos, the, nothing much else. The lost story of that free uh, of that like trade deadline, where it was MCW's rookie year, and they had like Hawes. Uh, I think Hawes hit like a corner game winner like right before the deadline. I was at that game. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he had a yeah. bunch more before that, and I was I was with John Landis, and. Mm-hmm. Um, this Being guy from his dad's work kept saying, oh, that's the dagger, like five different times when the opponent made a shot. I forget who we were playing. And then Spencer Hall just brought us back and hit that game winner in the corner. It was Crazy. unbelievable. <laughs> those are fun times with those teams. Yeah. But that's that's what's so good about, like, watching, like, those on how – like, the Suns were like that the last few years where, like, you have, like, sort of, like – this team with an up and coming sort of guy, like for the Sixers, it was MCW. Uh, you know, he was a rookie. He was just exciting, uh, especially after the first like three games he had, <laughs> you know, against like LeBron and D Rose. Right. Like, so I don't I, like that's, that's what's just cr- so great about those teams and watching those guys. But look what the Suns did. So they had Aiton and Booker and they were their two young prize pieces. They threw, they, they were awful. They were terrible. They were, you know, max uh, the 13th worst team in the league. So they were picking like 11th to 13th for four years straight. They throw Chris Paul in the mix. They're the third best team in the West record-wise. Obviously, you know, when it comes playoff time, the Lakers and Clippers will assert their dominance. But look at this massive improvement with a team that essentially was, you know, we could say they were processing for seven years. I mean, they had they had some brutal, brutal teams. But they had their two pieces in Booker and and Aiton. Aiton obviously isn't as good as you know a piece like ours with Embiid but Booker's a stud when it comes to scoring and these they were just running around with with kids as Jeff Van Gundy described the team as kids they throw the adult in there and Chris Paul and boom they're 18 and 10. That's yeah but you have to you have to give a lot of credit to uh to Monty Williams and a bunch like that whole coaching staff's really well uh yeah. well versed Monty yeah. Williams former former Philly guy Um, that was was a guy i didn't want to see leave that was so how did the uh, this is something that will continue to bother me as a sixers fan aside from the Fultz over tatum like of that era of like that five-year stretch from like brett brown from brett brown's coaching tenure we had our assistant coaches were lloyd pierce who's the hawks coach d'antoni uh d'antoni and monty williams and Monty Williams, and we let him walk year after year, and we kept Brett Brown when he clearly couldn't adjust to any situation, um, and that never made sense to me. And I, I'm so glad they gave him the boot. Like, why did? There's a reason he doesn't have a job right now. Yeah, that, Brett that's Brown. Even, <laughs> that's very telling. And like yeah. all the, I loved like Stephen A. I remember him saying how he loved Brett Brown as a coach. I'm like, dude, you actually do not watch any Sixers games if you love Brett Brown as a coach. This is very clear. He doesn't know how to handle different situations. Well, that's, a, that's the thing about, like, Stephen A. They, they, like, listen to highlights, like, on their way to work. Oh, yeah. Like, they don't, they don't sit down and watch. They, like, spend time with their families, and then they're, they're – like, they're all just, like, media – I don't want to say ponies, but, like, they sort of are. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're characters. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's this one kid that – I think he might be on a show on our network uh, – Chanel, who insists that um, Doc Rivers would have been no better than Brett Brown 
And I would, when he said that, it was before the season even started, and I knew how crazy it was. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not there's, surprised he said that. He's an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, mean, there's, there's a clear difference when, like, like Brett Brown alone has won them. Like, or um, <laughs> I'm still on Brett Brown. <laughs> uh, Doc Rivers this year has has won the Sixers a handful of games already. I think it was like the first game of the season he ran some backdoor motion play and they got open under the basket, right? Like play calls and stuff. But when you get professional and like, he's an elite coach and he's one of the best coaches the the game's ever seen. And when you get guys like that, that's just a whole different dynamic because you get great players that are, that are seasoned smart veterans like Danny green and then Dwight Howard to come. You get the really good veteran assistants to come in, um, you know, Sam Cassell and, and Dave Yeager, like those are great guys too. So the, the Sixers got it going right now, man. I mean, and Embiid. The thing are we here Doc, to touch on that? Yeah, so we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll touch on we'll touch on Embiid. But the thing with Doc was, it didn't really matter who was hired in place of Brett Brown. The upgrade was always going to be there. But you're adding a guy in Doc who, you know, obviously he hasn't gone the distance with some of those Clipper teams. But he's coaching the best record teams in the year in the league year after year. Like this guy's winning games in the regular season. He'll get to the second round, and obviously that Clippers team last year, it, something just didn't click in the playoffs. Like I don't know if it was Doc or I don't know if it was the chemistry, but you had Beverly. It was, yeah, it was the players. Yeah, it was it, the players, and then Doc didn't want to do anything. But it was it was a mess. But you have, and then you bring Doc here, and this is a team looking for order and stability, and Doc is. He's the doctor. I mean, he's coming in to fix all of the mess that was left by Brett Brown. And you bring in guys to surround, you know, him with the coaching staff with no bullshit mentality. You have Sam Cassell. I don't know if you've ever seen him on the sideline during the games. I mean, he is fired up during the games. He is slamming his clipboard. He's hounding the refs. He's basically on the court in some cases. And this is a guy who is one of the better underrated point guards of the 2000s era just a just a dog player like not the best talent wise but just out and out hustle guy somebody you want in your corner and he actually played for doc in boston and these are guys that you wouldn't dream of the sixers having you know a couple years ago and that's why i think we're seeing the jump in quality from ben and Embiid. so now we can get into our current sixers discussion and we'll talk about you know he he obviously against chicago uh, over the weekend had an absolute game, um, you know, following Ben Simmons, very good game against Utah without Embiid at his side, which was, that was a good, you know, barometer to see what they did without each other. Um, but then you had a game, you know, uh, in, in Houston where you almost let that one slip away. And then we had the Raptors minus Kyle Lowry and we lost that game because of some poor, some poor shooting, but Max, well, I'll start with you. Like, let me just get your, your take on, on this past, let's go eight days. So three or four games. Um, well, like what, what are you, what are you seeing from this, this run of the Sixers right now? I'm glad they're finally seeing that cork boss sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, that, that is like my main takeaway. I mean, these regular season games you take in stride. Um, you know, there's some games where, I feel there, there was a game, uh, I want to say it was the, maybe the Raptors game where they, um, or no, it was the Portland game because uh, they lost that game, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. so the, the Portland game, I feel like they sort of deliberately, 
I don't want to say they intentionally lost it, but there's things when you build a championship team, you have to build certain continuity and you have to go through certain adversity. Right. And when you get guys that all could sort of come together and know how to lose before you win, that's a huge key with these championship teams. You have to know how to lose before you, before you win, because once you accept that you can lose, you know, you can go and and use that as fuel for fire and as well as correcting your own mistakes. So I think the 76ers in that sense, have really just put things together and um, you know, but once again, you take these regular season games in stride. You don't, you know, you don't put as much emphasis on, on, on them, especially when they're once in the East, you know, they're going to make the playoffs at this point, you know, you're just trying to figure some things out as a team. Um, and I'm glad to see Isaiah Joe going to get a run because he is more than deserving of it. And he should have never been a second round pick. Should have been much, much higher. <laughs> agree with you so i'll just jump off what you said and my one thing with isaiah joe he was getting minutes late in the fourth and i disagree with that because shake was on the bench at this point in a close game at the raptors we were struggling to score and that's when i need shake in um and isaiah joe out but i I like isaiah joe getting a run in for you know 10 12 minutes a game perfectly fine with that burkhan he is a little, my boy, a little bit. I do think Isaiah Joe needs minutes over him for sure. Um, but I've said before on this show that Furkan's unplayable in the playoffs because once NBA teams start playing actual defense and they get up in his grill, he should be unplayable like all the time. If he's not making shots, I mean, for sure, there's no reason to have him. In. If he's, he's not hitting threes, defense. he's not an NBA player. He's he's barely an NBA player. I mean, I don't like, once again, I never want to just deliberately slander a guy because these guys are there for a reason. Like they're obviously good, but there is no, you're playing four V five on defense out there. (laughs) Like when he's in the game, like he's not the kind of guy you're going to want. Like when, if he's not hitting, like that's what he's on the floor to do. Hit shots, like hit threes. And he's not going to get down on the other end, though, and clamp up for you. And Isaiah Joe, he's going to—he's not going to give you the knockdown shooting that Korkmaz should give you. But he's going to—he can, like, play make a little bit. And he can also—he's a pretty solid defender. He took a big charge in, I think it was the Raptors game. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was very impressive. Like, that was something Korkmaz would never do. So, I think, like, that, like moving forward, Isaiah Joe should definitely be getting these minutes. He's so much better on defense. If you got—if you got, like— guys on the wing to space the floor. Like you don't want Corkmoss out. Like Corkmoss and Isaiah Joe are interchangeable. It's pretty lateral. You know, but when it comes down to defense, you know, like that game they had like Corkmoss on Carmelo Anthony. Like what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Especially we when he was going off. Right. Was yeah, we were we were pretty upset games. about that at our house watching the game. Yeah. Billy, were you gonna add something? So I think in the last since we did our last show, they played three games. And I think there's been something to take away from each of them. The Rockets game, they should have won by a lot more. And last year, that game would have absolutely slipped away from them. They ended up winning by five, which, again, I think it attests to Doc's coaching and not having Brett Brown. The Bulls game, you still should have won by more. But, you know, Joel Embiid, 50 points. I mean, I mean, this guy's the real deal. I mean, he's totally surpassed everyone's expectations for this year, and they were already pretty high. But the Raptors game, I was really mad at them. I mean, you can't go seven and a half minutes without scoring a basket. I mean, that – I know it's one game, but 
to me, that shows weaknesses to where like, all right, you need to go get somebody who can score the basketball. Like, doesn't even have to be a starter. Get someone to come off the second unit. I don't even care if they can play defense or not. Somebody can just go get a bucket because you can't have these slides in the games that matter. And you still only lost by seven points. And it's really a game they should have won. I, I think, honestly, that was Embiid's worst game of the season, at least yeah. that I've seen. And he still had, like, 25 and 17. Nick Nurse and played him really well. well. They played, always. He yeah, always does. They played him really, really He might well. be, right now, the best coach. They're, they're playing much better basketball than they were early on because they've got basically everyone back. Obviously, the weird stat of them being undefeated with Lowry is what it is. But, you know – that that front court, they don't even have when they don't have Baines and they don't have a, somebody over six foot ten, but they are just so big. They just play so big and so strong. Uh, their guards rim chase, and it's they they just they got off to a slow start, but they are definitely definitely mm. a legit. They got they got they got a uh, Boucher there, but the only thing with him is that he can't play. He can't play Embiid, um, but he's he's really good to stretch the floor on offense and just bring Embiid out of the paint. Uh, yeah. That's that's his biggest kryptonite, Embiid. They were trapping like Embiid in the paint with Boucher and Siakam, and they were leaving mm-hmm. somebody open, and that was killing him. And that, he hadn't—I don't think Joel had been doubled like that in like two weeks. So that was uh, that was a new because uh, against Chicago, they were just throwing Wendell Carter or Patrick Williams on him at, at times, and he was just you know he was just doing his thing. Where they put Thad Young on him a couple of times, and I like Thad Young. Thad, Thad Young I like Thad Young on him more than anybody on the Bulls. Yeah, but th- the thing is with Thad Young, Thad Young can play spectacular defense. And he's only six foot eight, but Embiid will just throw a fadeaway right over his hand, and like he's not even yeah. there, which is you know. But he was being doubled against uh, Toronto, and that's where you know sometimes you see the Joel stat line, the seven of twenty four, where you know it's like. He clearly he couldn't find his rhythm. If he's not in his rhythm, you know, sometimes you see him and he's effortlessly doing the pull-up jumpers from the, the free throw line and he's just messing with people. But he never got into that rhythm because Toronto was, you know, they were messing with him and they were they were getting into him. But I wanted to circle all the way back to a little point that uh, Max, you brought up about Doc with uh, Dwight and Danny Green. Uh, I don't know, Matt, are you an Eagles fan? Of course. All right. So do you think that Dwight and Danny Green could be this year's Chris Long and Lou Garrett Blunt to the 2017? <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I For every everybody listening, I did not see that beforehand. That is fantastic. I yeah, just, I, I, I love I, that. I love I that analogy. that you were an Eagles fan. So I, I kind of yeah. <laughs> that you were an Eagles the, fan. Um, so like for the Sixers team, like those sort of like molding, like glue guys, the guys who have done it before with good teams, bring them in and maybe they're not at their highest playing level, even though in the playoffs, Lou Garrett Blunt played out of his mind. Like Chris Long clearly wasn't the number mm-hmm. one overall pick Chris Long. And clearly Dwight Howard is not the number one overall pick Dwight Howard. Um, but Danny Green, he's won three with three different teams, very Robert Horry-esque and Dwight, you know, he got his with, uh, Lakers last year, but he right. played at a very high level for a very long time. No, I, I love that comparison. The only thing, so I was going to elaborate on the Sixers aren't done uh, in terms of their roster construction. They need a guy that does every single intangibles. They need a bench wing defender uh, that they didn't bench three and D guy. Um, I would honestly love them to get like PJ Tucker to just like stand in the corner and just bully guys. Um I've I've heard him being in trade talks actually, uh, with 
with Brooklyn and then like uh, LA as well um, and, and Philly, but still, I mean, to get a guy like that, he, it, so for instance, let's say they get, let's say they get PJ Tucker, right? That is your tour. That is your Tory Smith of yeah. that year. Or that guy that does all the intangibles and it'll never show up on the stat sheet. Like that year, the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I've been saying this for years, Billy, you might remember this when you were in high school. And I would say this, like Torrey Smith was the most important guy, in my opinion, for that Eagles offense, the championship year. When he would just like, I know they didn't have DJX, but he would just stand in the slot or um, as the X receiver and just run downfield every time and just take a safety in a corner out of the play. Like every time. And in an RPO system that works, especially when you just have a guy on the backside run all the way down the field. So, I mean, for the Sixers to compare that, right. You know, you need a guy that can do all the dirty work, you know, and box out guys to enable Dwight Howard to get a really good rebound. Right. Like stuff that won't show up in the stat sheet, set great off ball screens, like do all that stuff that will never show up and you'll never see but that's a perfect guy that the Sixers need, and that would make them contenders. Right now, I think Brooklyn, in all honesty, as much as I hate to say that this 140-point-a-game only offense team is the favorite, they, they sort of are. We had discussed on our previous show trade targets, and Peter Tucker was a consensus, like, yeah, let, let's do what we can to bring him here. Just He fits the Philly mentality. He fits what we need, and he just seems like a guy who would come in right away and he wouldn't have to ask any questions. They would just put him in. He's a Philly guy. Yeah, he would do his thing. Yeah. Going off uh, your comparisons, the Sixers-Eagles comparisons during that, during that Super Bowl run, who's going to be our Nick Foles or uh, Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? Jake Milton. <laughs> I like it. I yeah. saw, we're not good uh, enough to have a Nick Foles if someone <laughs> goes down like that. Yeah. Like, we uh, need everyone healthy if we're going to make a run in Brooklyn. I was just comparing the role players. I have no interest in losing a single star player. Go, Can I write of... about Dwight Howard, though, for a moment? Sure. This man has to stop fouling like, in every single play that he's in. So I mean, you, he's playing 12 take... minutes and he's fouling five or six times. You got to take him. take him home. You got to take him home. But there's so many Dwight. more that could be called that just aren't. I mean, you see him shoving people that it's not like. 90 feet away from the basket. Like, you can't take those fouls. I think he gets a bad one. I think <laughs> True. Yeah. I think I know exactly what you're talking about, the 90 feet away from the basket. He, like, missed a shot and was complaining about for the foul. And just shoved the guy. Just shoved the guy, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm just taking the foul. Like, he always looks at the ref, too, and is like, what are you talking about? He's got a, <laughs> he's got a bad a rep. It's just a full-on shove. He's got a bad <laughs> rep with the refs. He's got a bad rapport and, you know, sometimes he gets called for, for th- he, he gets, he, he, I think he gets double teched more than anybody potentially in the whole sport. I mean, even if he's not the main aggressor. I think we, you're breaking it out, Steve. There he is. So Wi-Fi cutting out. I think you're good now. Really? I'm in the library. That's curious. <laughs> the library Wi-Fi is not powerful enough to handle a zoom. Um, but I was saying, you know, my final point with Dwight is I think you take what you got. He's Dwight Howard. He's going to, he's going to give you the highs and the lows are going to be really low. He's going to have 5,000 games, but he might have eight and 10. That might be, and then he might, he might get somebody thrown out of the game. That's a big, that's a big thing with Dwight. He can get under skin people's skin because of how annoying he, he can the be. The best, the best intangible guys are the guys that finish like 
8.7 rebounds, two assists. Like, those are the best. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man. Like, four, is it, four fouls. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Stopping layups. I love oh, it. Oh, it's great. Like, and before he was, like, a really great three-point shooter, like, Draymond Green was like that, like, really early in his career. And I don't know if, like, anybody saw it until, like, the Warriors got good. Um, and then now, n- like, now you see him be, like, more of a passer and, like, have no shot at all, which is sort of a liability. But even so, like, those guys those guys are just great. They Like, they just do everything. I mean, I, oh, man, I wish Mike Scott were like that. Uh, he should be. <laughs> he should be. Yeah. We need – that's like yeah. a Corey Brewer type of guy. Oh, I love yeah. Corey Brewer. Yeah. I mean, Which I don't know. He's probably too old now. I wonder what he's up to. <laughs> he's he's like he's in uh, China, I think. Yeah. I never Mike. understood why we didn't re-sign him after the. Yeah, after he locked up Harden, held Harden to thirty points. Easily <laughs> 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 uh, hit the under. <laughs> so we we touched on the the recent games of Sixers. Now we're going to get into the national discussion of the, the MVP. I mean, I, Billy, I saw, you know, your conversation with Aiden today about the MVP. We're not going to talk about that because of how ridiculous he was acting, but Max, I mean, I, I want to get your, your, I'm going to, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to put a name in your mouth, but uh, who, who is your front runner right now for the MVP? I mean, you sort of have to look at and, and, put Joel and B like no bias at all. I mean, you sort of have to put Joel um, best, one of the best teams in the league and the guy's averaging close to what is it? 30 and 14 or something. Yeah. It's, it's like, like he's at one and like 13.8, which is yeah, which is like that. And especially like, and, and in all honesty, I mean, I don't, I, he's not going to win most improved, but like the improvements he's made to his game, he's fixed every flaw. And you guys were talking about, you know, nights where he'd go like that Raptors game, you know, he went like seven to 24 from the field. Like you'll live with those nights because a lot of those shots he was taking, they might've been really heavily contested, but there were shots that he normally takes, you know, there were shots that he normally gets off. I haven't complained once. And I did this last year a lot because sometimes it just felt annoying because it just, he didn't seem to improve at all. Like his shot selection last year was annoying because he didn't make any shots, but this year, if he hasn't, off off game like he's taking shots that he has made a hundred times before and i'm okay with it like you know you live and die with some of the threes he takes but that's he just adds that threat element to his game if he's if he's hitting threes that whoever we're playing is screwed because it, right. he's got his rhythm and you have well, you, to respect that you also have you also have a, co- a bunch of coaches that have been through years of experience with basketball like like I know any team has that, but especially this team, you've had Jaeger's been a head coach for those grit and grind, you know, Marcus Saul, Zach Randolph, Grizzlies teams. And he's just instilled all that into Embiid. Uh, you also have Dwight Howard, who's like a former MVP sort of guy that sort of helped elevate, you know, him to uh, Embiid to this like MVP status and tell him how to fight on the offensive glass and bully guys down low. Cause Dwight Howard used to be there, you know? So I, I just think that he has, this supporting cast that has just handed in the keys and they're like, look, as long as you put the work in, we'll tell you what you need to do. We'll refine your skills and help you with what you need to work on. And it, they've done it all. So I think especially in the NBA, the MVP is more of a, is a storyline award and a definitely just a regular season statistical award. It's not, the best player because then LeBron would have won it way more times. 
Jordan would have won it way, way more times. You look at who has the best stats in that year. Like, that's why Russell Westbrook, when he averaged a triple-double for the first time, he won and really wasn't in the discussion when he did it again because he wasn't efficient. And they're like, all right, it's not a, as good of a story anymore. And last year, you know, I thought, if you look at the stats, Giannis had a better statistical season than LeBron. It was close, but yeah, it was Giannis. But and people were all mad at LeBron didn't get it. But I also think that the NBA wanted to give Giannis back-to-back MVP. And to me right now, it's seeming like people are like, all right, LeBron is owed an MVP. Because to me, if you look at the stats, like Embiid is beating him in almost every statistical category. I actually I, think it is every statistical category. Except assist. And I'm like, I'm looking this up. I mean, Embiid has more points, more rebounds. He's shooting better. He's shooting the three better. He's shooting free throws way better. He's more efficient. He has more steals than LeBron. He has more win shares. Like it's really only that's what it's going to come down. That's what it's going to come down to. Because in my opinion, every year it's a stat award MVP. It is, and that's they decide this before the playoffs for a reason because it's statistical regular season. So I don't understand why a lot of people are saying it's LeBron, other than. They feel the need to give LeBron another one because they also are acting like this is a two-person like race right now. And obviously there's a ton of basketball that's being played. But to me, Embiid is the front runner and should be the clear front runner right now. I don't even know if I would have LeBron second. I probably would, but then you have like Steph is balling out. He has numbers very similar to anyone unanimous MVP. And he's Aim carrying an entire out. team. Steph yeah, is the point out. Falling out. Um, Kevin Durant is balling out. and I Dame Lillard with no CJ and Nurk. I cut off Billy, but Billy did say Dame. Yeah, you got Dame and Steph balling out and carrying teams right now in the playoff picture with pretty much little to no help. And then you notice the Lakers are one and four in their last five games, and Anthony Davis just got got hurt. I mean, I think people are glossing over that fact as well. It seems like the – annual time of year where LeBron asks for more help um, like he always does so to me this com- I mean this conversation is going to go on for the rest of the season but yeah so I'm looking at I looked at the odds and LeBron is a heavy favorite right now and I just really do not understand it I mean if, look at the stats and mm. if you look what Embiid doesn't play and how much yeah, oh, that's tough are. because I don't think they're going to look at that with Embiid sometimes I think when they like the problem is with the, with the Sixers is we, you know, we talk about the MVP is, and we have, we talk about how the MVP is sometimes a narrative award. Like the, the NBA does not appreciate the Sixer narrative. They do not, it is not one of their favorite narratives to discuss on the national stage. They do not want to encourage it. In fact, they discourage it and they tried to ruin it by giving us the Kal- the Colangelos, but luckily uh, Daryl Morey righted the ship real quick. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a narrative that they, they don't want to buy into, but the one thing I could see the NBA maybe getting behind later in the season is that the best player in the league this year was a big man. And the NBA does sometimes like that when it's a center, like that's how I think Shaq won two in a row because he had two, he didn't have the best statistical season, even as maybe a, some some forwards did like Tim Duncan in the early 2000s, but they won back-to-back finals um, and Shaq was just dominant. But statistically, he wasn't the best. In this case, you have a guy leading the charge of the best team record-wise in the East from a team that, you know, got swept in the first round of the playoffs 
uh, three years ago, won, you know, 30 games, four years ago, won 30 games. And now he has grown into the best big man in the league and, and not really being close on both sides of the ball. That's where maybe the narrative could, could shift in our favor. My guy, like my MVP right now is Joel Embiid and I'm going to ride with him, but I can see an argument being made for LeBron and the fact that he's playing less minutes than he has in his whole career per game. And if you look at his like per 36 stats, he looks a lot better, uh, like especially compared to Joel. So like I can see the league making like saying like saying like, oh, if he's playing more minutes, then he's probably putting up the same numbers or maybe even better than Joel. Um, and the fact that he's doing this at they're, they're also gonna make the argument for what age he's, uh, he's doing this at. But in my opinion, age shouldn't be a factor in MVP, but I can definitely see where the league would make that argument. LeBron is playing 2.2 more minutes per game than Embiid, though. So, like, even though he's, third in, the, he's third in the NBA in, in minutes played. Exactly. So, to me, that argument should favor Embiid because he's beating LeBron in all these per-game categories while playing less minutes. I think yeah, but LeBron's coming off the bubble. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, let's be real. This is crazy. Well, I don't, LeBron's body's going it, to it, – it's going to break. Like – I don't know, he's superhuman. He is. I mean, yeah, so I know. Playing at this level is insane. If there's it's anyone insane. whose body who might not break, it, it might be LeBron's. Like LeBron's not going to play in the Olympics this summer, but you know he he's going to be needs ready a rest. next October. He needs a rest, man. They need to start managing his minutes better. They're not it going is. to because he wants that award. The thing is, well, so the biggest problem. <laughs> is, it's smart. It hurts me. Like, <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think he could I burn agree out in the playoffs. He's, he's going to. But You'll he, see it. To him, it's like he thinks he can do it, and I respect that mentality, but he that award means so much to him right now because, I mean, he's felt disrespected. Like, he was complaining that he really should have won it last year, which I disagree yeah. with. I thought he was a close second. But, I, I mean, I, he does the bubble, need the rest. Taking that – I agree. Taking that break really hurt him uh, because he was – LeBron for MVP, if you guys remember, was sort of gaining steam around this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and what if the Lakers won, you know, 18 of the last 21 games, right? Like that really would have propelled LeBron, I think, into MVP status. And then it just all got shut down. But, you know, as for as for this year, I think, you know, it's definitely a one-two with Embiid and, and LeBron right now. It's just the only thing is, is that, it's a little – I think it's a little premature of us to go and say, like, look, this is going to be our MVP, this and that, you know, now because there's 72-game season and, you know, we're – the percent – the meaning in the games now, you know, it's a smaller uh, sample size in terms of percentage of the games that are played for the whole year. And, you know, you could have these – like, I'm still waiting on the – I'm still waiting on the 10-game Luka Doncic stretch – of you know him averaging 40 point triple doubles over a course of 10 games and the Mavericks go nine and one you know and that could just elevate him to MVP status just because of the weird year it is so anything could happen anything could happen right now the the biggest problem I'll circle back to a a point we brought up the biggest problem with LeBron's load management is AD's injury proneness so LeBron not being able to rest is because Anthony Davis continually like even when he was with the Pelicans and those games didn't mean Jack squat when he was being held out, like late on later uh, in the Lakers season, they were resting AD because of a shoulder injury and they were, they were really holding him off for the playoffs. 
Now what's happening is, you know, this is a new injury. It's a high ankle sprain. He's being reevaluated. I think it's, I think it was, so it was two weeks from Friday. So we're looking at next Friday, we're 10 days still, he's getting reevaluated, not coming back to the rotation. They're reevaluating his injury, which means he could be out for another month, potentially two months. Um, so that's limiting the ability for LeBron to stop playing, to slow down, um, take a few games off here and there, because normally you would just throw AD in and they would probably still win the game uh, with AD just playing. Obviously they're, you know, they're on a little bit of a slippery slope being one and four in their last five and losing to some pretty bad teams, even though they've lost to a couple of teams that are now they are, those teams are scorching hot, but the Lakers are really cold, but LeBron's load management is impossible with a second man like AD who is constantly on the injury list for the past three years, it's three different injuries. So it's, it's a, it's a struggle for these, for these last few games. uh, The last five games, they haven't had Schroeder because he's been out the last two weeks due to COVID. Um, and he's just a guy that moves LeBron off ball and he plays with the ball shooters on these high screener rolls and not having him has just put the ball in LeBron's hands more because you don't have a Rondo or any other guys, you know, you can't have Wesley Matthews bring up the ball. So that's just played and cut into LeBron's minutes more. So, and you it, know, and they'll, it, they'll get him back this week, but it's, but it's meaningful minutes too. It's like, you know, he has to go balls to the wall in that minute rather than, you know, he has, let's say Schroeder and Davis on the court. I mean, those two can play with each other for like five minutes and LeBron and of their, do anything. Of their last like eight games, they've gone like four overtime games, five overtime games. Yeah. Like they went they, to overtime last night against the Wizards. They did. Yeah. LeBron, LeBron's body can't take that. I mean, I, I know he's superhuman, but after the, cause last season, you know, in this season is all like one long season, these guys. And yeah, it hurts them. I do think that, just for last year in particular, the break helped the Lakers because they got LeBron rested and then he was ready to come back. I mean, balls to the wall for the bubble. So I think more than any other team that benefited the Lakers. And I think for LeBron's going to try and play as much as he can now because I think that's an argument he has over Embiid is that Embiid does miss some games, which I do think is a fair argument, but I also don't think he's missing games just to miss him this year like he has in the past just for load management like Mm -hmm. he missed some games because he had a back injury because LeBron shoved him to the ground and then B had a hard hard fall like that's one of the and that's could be nagging him so like I don't think Embiid's just taking load management rests as much as he has in the past so I think the games played thing could be blown a little bit out of proportion at least right now like obviously if Embiid starts load managing then you have to put that into this into the discussion a little bit in the future because I mean there is like you said there's a lot of basketball to be played you cannot anoint an MVP right now we're just talking about who is currently in the lead of the race but I I also want to say I don't think that the NBA wants to give it to Embiid I really don't Steve said that they don't like the Sixers narrative I completely agree with that the NBA wants to give it to LeBron they're going to, and Bede's going to have to force them not to pretty much. Which yeah. that entails, sorry, David, uh, I'll just do, be really quick. Like that entails them killing the Nets and the Pacers and the Celtics later on in the season when it start when award season starts to get talked about a lot more. So like that'll be Embiid needing to put up 30 plus against the top teams in the East. I think one of the, like the main reasons the league doesn't want to give Embiid the award would be to it kind of like validates the it validates the process 
and makes the process seem like it worked and it gave us an MVP. And that's I think that's the last thing the league wants to encourage the tanking that we participated in. I mean, could you imagine the the mess the league would have if Ben Simmons is depoy and Embiid is MVP? It just completely whether the Sixers win a championship or not, it proves that it works. I mean, look what you get two players from two top three draft picks. And boom. I mean, not every player is guaranteed. Obviously, you have guys like Wiggins and Fultz who didn't pan out to be superstars. But, you know, if you if you if you stink for long and you're in that top three, you know, you get your few chances. You come away with stars like that. That's bad for the NBA because they put their foot down on tanking. But it's good for the Sixers because it proved that it freaking worked. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I'm. We're, I'm grateful for what we did. I mean, I was fine to sit through a couple of bad years to be where we are now. I think we're in a very good spot. I mean, I, I think the Nets are going to overtake us for the one seed sooner rather than later. And we could be a two or a three, which would still avoid them until the conference finals, which I've been saying is of utmost importance. But we got a couple more games before the All-Star break. All-Star uh, reserves are announced tonight. So I do want to hear if you guys think Tobias and or Ben are going to make the team? I think Ben has an over 50% chance of making it, and I think Tobias probably has about a 10% chance of making it. I do not think Tobias that. should make it, though. I, I do agree that he should, but I don't think there's a chance in hell yeah. that Tobias gets in. I think Ben does. I think, I think the, the coaches around the league have seen what they've needed to see from Ben probably, and I guess recent memory helps because in the past two weeks when he's played, he's been playing – like he should so that's good for the recency bias for the coaches they're like oh shit look what he did in utah by himself and even in the toronto loss he had a sneaky 28 so that's good for recency bias uh for ben so i think ben makes it i i really don't think tobias well and also it also helps that the coaches are are i believe 75 percent of this or if not all of it is all coaching it's uh decided yeah yeah you know so that i think helps simmons a lot because His his defense is awesome. I mean, you could talk all you want about him scoring or not scoring. I mean, if you're in the NBA, you can score the ball. <laughs> you know, I mean, on any sort of level, you know, what sets you, yourself apart is the defense. That's why I'm I will ride to my grave for Matisse Thybul. Um, you know, like guys like that are awesome. But um, you know, I digress. But Ben Simmons having coaches decide that is going to be huge because he is such a hindrance to go against on defense. Like I would hate to coach against him, not because of offense, like you could put any guys out there and you could score a hundred in a game as a team. Right. But the, his defensive uh, level, like that Nets game, uh, when I know they were th- without KD and, and, and Kyrie, he just, the, you locked up Harden in the second half. Harden couldn't right. generate any, anything, anything that he's been, he's been able to do for his whole career. Which is good, oh, you know, huge. the coaches have the input. The coaches dislike playing against Ben Simmons for the defensive end. That's good for Ben's case is the coaches are like, well, we got to put this guy in. Look what he does to our best players. And he's flashy in the sense, like, if you're, you know, if you consider the all-star element, he's going to he's gonna dunk. He's going to do fun yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I, like, that's, like, that's, like, sort of my point, though. Like, if you're a coach and all the coaches are deciding this, like, I'm telling you, these coaches do not care about any sort of flashiness yeah. whatsoever. Yeah like at all you know if he goes and like posterizes a guy like whatever all that they care about is that he got two points mm-hmm. yeah that's why it's the <laughs> nba was very smart and didn't didn't leave this up to the fans because 
I mean, the yeah. fan, if, if it's up to the fan. Caruso ben, would be in. Yeah, Ben Simmons has zero shot. Tobias definitely has less than zero percent shot if it's up to the fans. Yeah. Yeah, I think Ben should be. I mean, I agree with you, Max. His defense is off the wall. I think he's the best overall defender in the NBA. I think the word rim protector is um, confused by so many fans. Like, they think rim protector means best defender, um, where I disagree. Like, if I want some, if I'm picking any player in the NBA to lock down someone, I'm picking Ben Simmons. One through five, like, you can't choose a position there. But I think that should make him an all-star. You've seen the past couple of weeks that he can score the that's ball. But that's going to make him an all-star. He's going to be an all-star. That will make him an all-star. I think Tobias should be. I think he's borderline. Uh, I don't think he will make it. I think the coaches might attribute that to some more, like, well-known names that Tobias has slightly better numbers than but they're going to give, you know, another team an all-star instead of giving the Sixers three. And if the Sixers weren't the number one overall seed, I would say there's no chance we're having three. But that the fact that we're having team success should give Tobias more of a chance. I just don't think he's going to get the nod, even though he, he's playing like an all-star. He really has. You guys think that? Uh, Max, I think something happened to your mic. Mike. Uh, uh. <laughs> Sounded like Optimus Prime. <laughs> if you want to just run through that that point again, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. My mic does that like always, like an hour in. Like I'll be recording <laughs> a podcast, and like I'm an hour in, and then I just sound like Optimus Prime. For, yeah. Like, yeah. But um, yeah. Do you guys think that former 76er Jeremy Grant's an All Star? Oh yeah, for sure. I love I love Jeremy Grant. This our household is a big uh, Jeremy Grant fan. I just think in terms he's of also a member of my fantasy team, so I'm his number one proponent right now. In terms of elevating a team, like the Pistons are far and away one of the worst teams in the league. But when he's on the court, they play so well. Like he, I mean, we're not talking about stats, even though his stats are really good. He's just he's a he's a He's a court elevator. He makes everyone better. You know, I'm not comparing him to the likes of LeBron, but what he does is similar in terms of on defense, he takes charge. And on offense, for some reason, he has now developed into some sort of point forward mastermind where he's bringing the ball up and moving the ball around and passing and cutting. And it's just like, I miss you. I, 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 I saw this in 2014 when we drafted you out of Syracuse and it took, you know, it took a few years and that he was crucial to that Denver team. Crucial. Yeah, He was never, he was never like, like the way he is now until like last year in the playoffs. Yeah. He took such a leap forward with his ball handling that he is absolutely an all-star. Unfortunately, he is a piston, but fortunately for them, they have an all-star. Speaking of elevating, you, he elevated him to like what? Eight wins. Yeah, they would have zero if they yeah. didn't have him. I think he's also a guy that's going to benefit from the coach vote um, just because he's such a defensive-minded like minded player. Like, he's a very – I think he's a very underrated defensive player. Like, you Good saw point. that last year in the in the bubble. He was like – like, that's what he brought to the uh, Nuggets. He brought, like, some defense. Like, he could guard one through four. It was pretty impressive. He, he's what the Nuggets are missing right now, if we're yeah. going to be honest. <laughs> so What they're missing is Michael Porter Jr., yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So but, I haven't watched but, many Pistons games, and for good reason. Um, pretty much whenever, whenever, whenever I would have a bet on them or something, that's when I tune in. Or, but I would have to say no to him being an All Star. And I, I was a fan of his game when he was on the Sixers. I really didn't. I, obviously, I didn't foresee him becoming what he is now. But I like how he did. played. Um, but I got to go Tobias over him. I mean, you look at Tobias's numbers are either right on par or a little bit better. He's a little bit more efficient. And obviously Jeremy Grant's the main guy on the Pistons. So he's taking more shots, more contested shots than Tobias is. But I have to think team, it's hard to give a bottom of a barrel team like, like that an all-star. And you've got, so you've, you've got seven open spots for your all-star team. I don't know if you can give one to Jeremy Grant with, so I think he'll be close, but I would have to leave him off if I was choosing the team. There, there was talks yesterday. They were talking about on jump, you know, like how can the NBA leave off Russell Westbrook from being an all-star in the East? And I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, maybe because they've won like 12 games, like maybe because for the first half of the season, it, it really didn't click until – but the problem is recency bias. Russell, well, what about Bradley Beal, though? Like, he's right. like, me too. So, they're going to have both of them. Good. Like, but so, like, would, would they well, – I think Bradley Beal's a lock. But, you know, would you, would you award two all-star spots to a team that is terrible? I mean, they, they played awful in their record. I mean, they were, they were, it was a main discussion, you know, how many, how many players from bad teams can make it. And it was, I was like – I was thinking to myself, well, it, just Beal – and you keep Russ off because Russ is part of the reason they weren't playing well. Well, who are the at. starting guards in the, in the East? I'm pretty sure Beal is one of them, but they were saying okay, it's Beal and Kyrie. Right. So adding Russ is like, well, how can you? They were like, how can you leave? Well, what about Russ? what about Zach Levine then? Zach Levine, I think, is an All Star. I think Zach Levine is an All Star because but he is. They the have best player less on his team. They have less wins than the Wizards, though. But he's the best player on his team on a bad team. So I, I don't want two players represented from some of the awful teams in the league. No, the Bulls are ahead of the Wizards. But the Bulls are now in the playoff picture, and recency bias will come into effect because I think in Levine's last seven games, he's averaging like thirty-one. So the coach is looking at that. They're like, ah, oh, he's upped his scoring. He's upping his play. Um, you know, now the Bulls are in the playoff picture, so he's leading that charge. You know, obviously, Russ and Beal have kind of caught on as of late. The last four games, they've won four in a row. But, you know, I, the discussion was, you know, how can you leave off Russ? That was the, that was, it was on the jump. That was what they were talking about. Um, you know, I was thinking, well, because there's plenty of better guards from teams that are just a little bit better th- than Russ right now. Russ right now is not all star Russ. This is an all-star Russ. That was just, you know, that was furthering the point of awarding bad teams all-stars. That was just a point. You got to think like Harden's going to get a spot. Levine should. We think Simmons should. Jalen Brown. Savonis as well. Yeah. What about what about Savonis and uh, Vooch? Savonis, I think, is a lock. But Vucevic, I think, didn't he just get hurt? So they might not even. I don't even think they. But like he's he has like two forty point games. This oh year. yeah, he's he's a stud. He should be like Russ puts up the stats. I I forget how long ago it was, but he had the same number of points as shots. That's not very good as an NBA star. So like <laughs> he's been like that his whole career though. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I might be Russ's like 
I, I might hate him the most. I like any NBA. I just cannot stand Russell Westbrook. I, I never got attached to him when he was at his highest level in, in Oklahoma City. Like I, I, people, you know, they they would emulate Russ and they would, you know, they loved Russ because of how how fun to watch he was. But I never I never clicked with him, so I never jumped on the Russ mm. bandwagon. I don't hate him, but I never I never connected with his play style. I just was like, ah, it's you know, I he's really good though. I can attest to that because when he was with like Durant in OKC and they went to the finals and stuff like his shot selection was terrible. Like he thought he was Durant and he just never was. And then when he started to like come into his own, by the time he got like Paul George and Carmelo Anthony was there for like a year, like that. And he went on this ridiculous run, Paul George, man, um, or, or Russell Westbrook rather. Um the way he plays, man, it reminded me of like Iverson, man. That playing hero ball to, to on on another level. Yeah, but he hit like every big shot, man. Like he he'd go like one of forty. Like I know I'm exaggerating, but like he'd have these terrible nights, and they'd still be within like a few points just because he hustles so hard. And then he'd hit a game winning three, and it's like all right, whatever they won. You know, it was the same thing. It was the same thing with Iverson, even though Iverson was a little more efficient, but like. Yeah, hey, I so, said I that Russ was the player that reminded him the most of him. But I think it's very telling that a Russ-led team hasn't made it out of the first round in quite some time. Yeah. Well, last year they well. did. They made it out of the first round? Yeah, they beat the Thunder. Well, that, was like a, that was a Harden-led team, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pulling your leg. <laughs> that was not Russ. Russ probably thought it – Russ wanted to He's, be a Russ-led I, I made a post about him this, this week, literally – and or is actually last night he's he has to accept he's no longer uh uh even a second option really i mean like he could score the ball and i know he had like 30 last night like you could say whatever about him averaging a near triple double he's just not the same i mean he has the fire under him and he always will but he can't move because he was he is he is a step behind for someone who was relying on his athleticism his entire career um, but, you know, to kind of circle back to the all-star point, like I can't see why the NBA can justify awarding a second spot to the Wizards, whether it was Westbrook or not. Like I, 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 I'm on the, the wave. I do think Jeremy Grant, though, deserves one in a way because he, I think he is better than some of the other choices, but I do not think Russ is, is worth it over some of the other. Like I think Sabonis should be a lock. Like he, he, I, I, when I put my vote in, I had him as a starter. Obviously, he was never going to be a starter, but he is just so unbelievably good on both ends of the floor. He has the highest basketball IQ. He rarely makes mistakes. He has improved his uh, percentages from the from the line from three point. Like he is a stud. I think that's a guy who just is going to go down as like he was so good, but he was never on the right team. Like he was never What's in the right spot to win one. It's the same thing with Vucevic. As much as Sabonis right. is a lock, yeah. Vucevic is a lock in my opinion. I mean, like nobody, I feel like nobody cares about Vuce. And like I'll watch just Magic games and have, you know, Michael Carter Williams, you know, five years removed, like throw up like haymakers. And they had did some guy I'd like never heard of the other night start. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And he shot like the ball ten times and had like eleven points. And they have James Ennis like shooting threes. Like yeah. if you want to talk Sixers, like you remember that when he never hit a wide open three? Never. Yeah, he's still still the same James Ennis. 
<laughs> you know, the, the Magic and, is just and, a tough franchise. It's just tough. Yeah. Like and, they, and, and, you know, and you got Vucevic just living through it all. And he doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word. I respect that. I hate players so who want to get out of their situations and demand trades. But uh, remember that one week James Ennis just went off? It was like early mm-hmm. in the season, too. And we thought, all right, <laughs> like, oh, big game James. Like, this guy is going to be a dog for our second unit. And we yeah, ended up trading is, him, like, a he listened, later. He listened to us, though. He, he fell he out of the started shooting more. And we felt the same way about 2018 Mike Scott with the yeah. Brooklyn game winner. You know, that was so fun. And then, you know, he's just a stinker. But, you know, when – like, he was in – he plays too much now, in my opinion. And he was in L.A., in, in, you know, in the Tobias trade – you know, before when we got Boban and, and Tobias, right? You know, like Doc Rivers was the coach there and Mike Scott played a lot for, for those Clipper teams and he trusts them. And I guess that's just his guy. Plays Scott's way too glue, much than he should. But Scott's a glue guy. Uh, he's here for the locker room, you know, and he's here for the the fans, mm-hmm. the hive, you know. Yeah. He's here to beat up Eagles fans. That's what yeah. he's here for. Uh, I, Mike Scott's a guy where, like, I don't think he has any inherent value to any other team, so I don't see him being moved. Uh, if we if we are to make a trade, but I could definitely see him as a, a roster. He's only casualty. he's only being moved for cap purposes, right? Like he was he was the throw in in like a Harden deal to balance salary. Like if you were to trade Simmons a bunch of picks for Harden, you know you had thrown Scott to right. balance balance that cap. So that's the, really his only purpose. <laughs> you know, in in the NBA right now, that him and Cork Moss alone. I mean, they're just cap holds. Yeah. I know. I remember someone responded to a Mike Scott tweet though and said, "Dude, you're the only Philly player that could be totally ass, and we'd still be pissed if they traded you." <laughs> yeah. I That's mean, great. it's going to be true if if he is moved. Everyone's going to be very, very upset because of what he, you know, not the player he is, but the the person he is for for the fans, like the what he what he exemplifies. Um, the Philly mentality, the tough guy. I mean, he, you know, he is kind of an enforcer. You saw him the one game when he wasn't even playing. He was wearing, you know, a T-shirt and sneakers, and he hopped off off the, the bench and almost got into a fight. Like, that's just, you know, he's he's here for his teammates, and he's here for uh, the fans. But, uh, you know, I we I, we hit on, you know, some pre-process or some, some pre-this-year uh, Sixers stuff with the process and all. We talked about the, the current Sixers and MVP race. You know, is there anything – uh that you think we missed and we can you know touch on in these these last couple minutes yeah what'd you guys think about the wentz trade need to be done (laughs) all your faces right there man oh my goodness i wish everybody could see that again yeah (laughs) it needed to be done up steams it was the ending of of mice and men you just you had to do it if he wasn't such a bitch and then start complaining about he to be traded and like how he was mad that he got benched, then I would would have been against it. But he had such a bad attitude, like you had to get rid of him. Like I wanted him to fight for his job and like say, all right, I'm coming back, I'm gonna put in the work, and then I would have supported him. Like, all right, we we're gonna give him one more year. But I mean, he was just gonna nah. handle it too poorly for my for my liking. He wanted out. And you cannot have that mentality in Philly, so we had yeah. to trade him. But it was a it was somewhat of a sad moment. Yeah, I wanted to keep him around. I liked him. Uh, I was like, I don't, throughout the whole season, like if you were in our house, like you know, like I was his like biggest supporter. Like 
through all like the highs and lows, but even like even though I was wrong, I still supported him. Um, but I it got to the point where I was like, all right, like this trade needs to be done. And also the return we got for him, I know a lot of people complained about that, but for how he played last season and his contract, I think yeah. it was a pretty solid return. I agree. I this past year, I've never been a fan of Wentz. I like I just haven't. Like, like as a person, like there's no doubt he's talented. There's no doubt about that. I, before the season started, I bought a Jalen Hurts jersey in week one. <laughs> I, I was, I was, in I, the have, boat where, I have it somewhere here. Um, I was but, in the boat where we didn't help him, but he didn't help himself. The relationship was beyond repair. We obviously drafted a guy because we had inclinations that he wasn't our guy. Um, whether Hurts is the, going to end up being the, he's going to the, be the guy, the guy. I'm telling you, um, we had one anyway. So. We had one in general. Um, Hurts is the guy. Hurts is so. I think he's good. He is so swaggy. Like he goes <laughs> out there and he's you know he's just about to dot. Come on, like you like that Cardinals game, man. Like he come was on, atrocious his last two and a half games. Yes. Atrocious. He it's was good. good for a game. It's a half. catch twenty two. Give him an off season. Give him an off season to work as the starting quarterback. They're not going to give it to him, but it doesn't like they are going to give it to him. I would be all for them drafting a QB if it, if one falls. I don't want them moving up to draft a QB. I would only be okay with them drafting a quarterback if they traded Hurts, which I don't want them to do because I want a little bit of stability for ten minutes. I want a little bit. Of, I don't want any chaos for like an hour. Give me something. But I, mean, I would I would build around Hurts. I would do. Hurts. A reverse rebuild, build around every position but quarterback, and end up having Hurts being good enough. There's so many holes. They've, they don't have like, anything else. Yeah. <laughs> they like Fletcher Cox near thirty games next year, so we're gonna be like what four and thirteen, guaranteed. <laughs> around there, he's really stunk his last couple of games. Win or three losses. He stunk his last couple of games, but so did Wentz. And his, it, Wentz was pretty bad his rookie season. So yeah, Wentz had his moments. Yeah. Um. So. I want to thank you, Max, for coming on. Obviously, you have an incredible following on Instagram, and we're looking forward to, you know, furthering this relationship with our, our podcast network. And, you know, it's always good to have another uh, Philly fan on the show. So to our listeners, please go follow uh, Brainiac NBA uh, on yeah, Twitter. Um, give him some love. His posts are – I mean, there's no bullshit in the posts. You're not going to see that stuff that you see on ESPN. And bleach your report. You're gonna you're gonna get right to the point, and you're gonna see what you want to see. Um, so yeah. again, Brainiac NBA on 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 Instagram. I'll give a quick plug. Uh, Morning Dump Podcast, wherever you get your podcast as well. Just launched that. We're in a week like three or four of it now. Me and my boy JJ, chop it up if you guys need a podcast to listen to as well as this great podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Billy, great seeing you. Nice to see you too, Max. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no problem. So that will wrap it up for this week's uh, episode of uh, the step over here on the Six Podcast Network. So for our special guests, Max Gordon, Billy Bruno, and David Cook, this has been your host, Stephen O'Malley. We will see you guys next time.